0: Lord, it's a a glorious thing to behold You, Your salvation that You accomplished for us, to stand at the foot of Your cross in awe and thankfulness and be close to You. Lord, then there are those times where we, we can't see You. You feel far. You feel distant. Lord, I pray today as we come to Your Word, and we deal with that painful emotion, God, that you would be near to us. Speak to us through this psalm, God. Help us to know how to press into you in our pain. Fill me with your spirit. Give me wisdom and grace to open the sorrows of your people. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Good morning. name is... Jared Jenkins, for those of you that are new or visiting, and uh, I'm glad to be back from Florida, here, where there's no humidity or bugs. Thank you. Utah is a wonderful place, and I'm glad to be here. We're continuing in our uh, psalm series today, so if you want to open to Psalm 88, we're going to look at Psalm 88. Now, this is a challenging psalm. If you've never read Psalm 88, buckle your seatbelt. This is a challenging psalm. And we selected this psalm because in our culture, this is a psalm we need to know. It has much to teach us. It's often called the darkest corner of the psalms. That's because it, it, the, the psalmist is crying out to God. He's lamenting his situation and it never resolves. He never turns around and praises God. And so we want to look at that. In fact, the last word of this psalm in the original language is darkness. That's how it ends, darkness. And yet this psalm, it, it's a psalm. It was, it was meant to be sung to God. And we need to learn to sing this song to God. And so today we're going to deal with some deep, some deep heart issues. And so I want to invite you for the next few minutes let's let's consider our pain and our suffering together under the grace of God and let's let this psalm teach us something about what it means to respond to God in pain so let me invite you if you have if you have further questions from this sermon because this is a hard song please call please email please write please come see me pastor kevin robert anybody on staff and if you have significant pain and suffering in your life, please come visit us as well. We'd love to talk with you about that, to pray with you. And so now, we don't often do this, but I, but I want to read the entire psalm because I think we need to hear it all out before we get into it. So join with me as we look at, at Psalm 88. Here's what it says. A psalm, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master according to the Mahalath, Leonoth, a maskil of Heman the Ezrahite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit and the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me, and you have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. Those who love me, oh darkness. It was a dark psalm, and many of us can relate to it. Most of you have heard of the Christian author C. S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity. And when Lewis was in his his mid-50s, he married the love of his life, a good friend, in fact. And uh, he married this lady, Joy Davidman. And four years later, Joy died of cancer. And after her death, Lewis wrote a book called A Grief Observed. Maybe some of you have read it. Where he talks about the pain of losing his friend and his wife. It's a very moving and real expression of pain. A real wrestling with God. What are you doing here? Dealing with his suffering. And then he, he says something near the, the beginning of his book. He speaks of the pain the loss, his wrestle. Here's what he says. Listen, listen to what he says. Where is God when you are happy? So happy that you have no sense of needing Him. So happy that you are tempted to feel His claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn with gratitude and you, and you praise Him, you'll be, or, or so it feels, you're, you're welcomed with open arms. But go to Him when, you, when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? You find a door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. This is is shocking. This is a shocking statement from C.S. Lewis, one of the most renowned Christian authors of the 20th century. The guy who gave us Aslan, that's a picture of Christ. How could he write that about God? How could any Christian write that about God? Yet, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that when you've dealt with significant suffering in your life, you've probably felt similarly. God, where are you? What are you doing to me? Why are you doing this to me? Maybe you even feel that way right now. And let me invite you today to learn to deal with those same feelings as C.S. Lewis in the midst of your pain by learning to cry out to God. That's why God gave us this. In fact, it it should increase your faith that God did not shy from these questions, but He gave us Psalm 88 to show you how to talk to Him in these times. And what Lewis goes on to find as the book progresses is that God never left, and God still cares. And similarly, what Psalm 88 will teach us is to Keep crying out to God in our pain. Just keep crying out to Him, and that God is there and in control of our situation. So let's take a look at Psalm eighty-eight. Let's, let's keep our pain in view and, and seeing what we can learn from the psalmist is how best to relate to our pain while keeping faith. Look at look at the superscription there. I like to call it verse 0. 88, zero. Here's what it says. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, to the choir master, according to the Mahalath leonof A maschile of He the Ezrahite. So as we said, this is a song. God wants you to use this to sing. And it cites He the Ezrahite as the author of this psalm. Now it's not by the power of grace, School, but there are other He in the Bible. So there's there's two possible He that we can look at. One is 1 Kings 4, 30 through 31. Solomon is compared to He-Man. In fact, it says, Solomon's wisdom surpassed He-Man's wisdom. Okay. Another one comes in 1 Chronicles 6, 33 and 37, as well as 15 and 19. This He-Man was one of the three main guys that David appointed as the as the singers in the temple to write songs for the temple. So think of this as David's worship pastor writing this song to be sung. In fact, he's the one leading the people to praise God, and yet this is what he sings. And what we need to see right from the start is that it is a common occurrence for God's people to face suffering that seems un- unbe- unbearable. This man was close to God. This man leads the congregation in worship, and he's writing this song. You don't play this song on Caleb. That's extra, sorry. I was recounting this week, how all the the different prophets, the faithful men of the Bible that wanted to quit because of the suffering they were facing. I don't know if you ever thought about this. There's Moses. He talks about he's, he's sick of dealing with God's cantankerous people. And he tells God, I quit unless you do something here. Elijah, he's sick of running from Jezebel and the threats on his life. He's like, I quit, God. I don't want this anymore. Jeremiah, he's sick of being made fun of by his own culture because of his preaching about God's faithfulness. And he quits for 17 years. Job, he wants to die because of the seemingly senseless suffering God is pouring out on him. Isaiah, who felt the, the task God had given him was too hard, so God decided he'd give him more to do. Peter, who lost faith and denied Jesus because when he was staring at the cost of death, he said, that's too much. And he went back to fishing. And then there's Jesus, who said in Matthew 27, 46, quoting King David in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Before that he said, If there's any other way, God, let this pass for me. I don't want to do this. If you're suffering today and feel like God has turned His back on you, take heart that you're in good company. It's a common feeling among the followers of Jesus. In fact, 1 Peter 2.21 says this to us, For this you have been called, speaking of suffering, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His footsteps. As a follower of Jesus, you will suffer. And maybe even unto death like Christ. And even at that, feel forsaken by God. But you're not alone. We're in this together. And so he Man, I like saying that. He wrote this psalm to bear out his grief to God. Look what, look what he says in verse 1 and 2. He says, "'O oh Lord, God of my salvation!' I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. He's saying, He's crying out, Listen to me, God. I've been praying and praying every morning, every night. Listen to me. Have you been there? Have you ever cried out to God day and night? It just seems like He's not there, not listening. I was, I was recounting with my wife and we were talking about how we had been married for 10 years and, and we were hoping to have a child and hadn't had a child in 10 years. We began to pray day and night for a child for over a year, day and night. God, please, please give us a child. Please give us a child. Listen to us. No answer. No assurance. No baby. Nothing. Nothing stressful, painful. To make matters worse, you got babies coming out by the dozen all around you. <laughs> Have you been there? Maybe it wasn't a baby. Or if you think about babies, Abraham and Sarah, they waited 100 years for their baby. We only had to wait 10. Maybe you've prayed for a baby, a spouse. A new job, the healing of your body. Healing from your sin. It just seems like God isn't listening. He's not there. Maybe he doesn't care. Let's let's notice two things about these first two verses. Look at, look at verse one there. Number one, this is addressed to God. Okay? The psalmist proclaims that God is his salvation. The psalmist is in the midst of his pain and suffering. He knows that God is his salvation. He knows that God can change this situation in an instant. In the midst of his pain, he's looking to God, affirming that God is the one that can save him. He's the one that can change the situation. He's calling out in faith. And then look, this is a prayer. It's a song and it's a prayer. Do you pray like this? You look at God and lay your heart out before Him? Do you complain to God? you get angry with Him? you just ask Him why? Why are you doing this, God? Why do I have to experience this? The psalm teaches us that in the midst of our pain, we need to keep talking to God. Keep talking to God here so that we can learn to really pray our pain to God. It's no accident that God gave us this song. It gives you your permission to bear your soul in prayer. Remember, God's a big boy. He can take us. And He wants you to engage with Him. He wants you to talk to Him. And so often we face pain and sorrow and we start down the road away from God and say, God, why would you do this to me? You're obviously not listening to me, God. You must not be there. So I'm just going to stop talking to you. I'm going to stop connecting to you. I'm going to stop doing the things that I know where I can find you. I'm going to stop reading my Bible. Why even go to church if you don't even care, you don't even see me? And we seek deeper. Oh, the darkness. This psalm says you keep talking to God. You tell Him exactly the way you feel because He's your salvation. And you complain about your suffering, believing in faith that He can save you. Think of Job. Forty-two chapters of working out, what are you doing to me, God? Praying to God, questioning God, friends trying to figure out, what are you doing? God answers. God will answer. And you may not like it. Or you might die without an answer and then you can talk face-to-face. What is it that you need to get off your chest between you and God? What is, it, what is it the pain that you've been unwilling to really talk to Him about? Talk to Him. He's inviting you to in this song. We're going to have a few minutes at the end of the service before we take communion today. And Sean's going to sing a song. And I want you to take that time to pray to God and say, God, this is what I'm feeling. These are the things I'm wrestling with you about. Here they are, God. And then as we come to communion, it'll be a time for us to reaffirm our faith and say, Christ is my salvation, and I want to keep following him, no matter what the circumstances. So after these introductory verses, we, we get a little bit about the reasons why he man's crying out to God. Look at verses three through five. Here's what it says For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. Here's why the psalmist is crying out. He feels like a dead man. Feels like he's come to the point of death and no one cares about him and God has turned his back. You been there? Several years ago, I walked with a good friend in the midst of probably the deepest and darkest depression I've ever seen. And I was visiting with him one day. And he came and we were visiting and he looked me in the eye and he had this greenly, deathly pallor on his face. He said, Jared, I'm going to go home today and I'm going to lay on my bed and I'm going to die. Oh, the darkness of that. He'd come to the point where he felt like everything had been forsaken. Even God had forsaken him. He knew God, but yet he felt so forsaken that he felt he was going to lay down and die. That's dark. That's where this psalmist is. He feels the cold tendrils of death on his life, he's being consumed by them. His suffering is overwhelming. God seemingly is nowhere to be found. Have you been there? Are you there now? God says, talk to me. Tell me about it. Tell me about how it feels. Now the psalmist, he's going to turn his finger towards God, and and the rest of this psalm really has language that that frankly makes me uncomfortable. Makes my palms sweat a little bit. But I want us to listen to how the psalmist points the finger at God. He's going to accuse God of his suffering. So listen to this. Look at verses 6 through 9. You have put me in the depths of the pit in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy on me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me and you have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, God. I spread out my hands to you. And here's the here's the scary thing about these verses is that the psalmist is exactly right. Everything that has come into his life is found in the hand of God. Even our suffering we intuitively know that's true. You have done this, God. You have overwhelmed me. You have caused me to lose my friends and dang it, God, I'm crying out to you every day and you're still afflicting me. Verse 9, he says that his eyes are, are growing dim because of sorrow. you ever cried so much you can't see straight? I have. You just can't see what's going on. Sometimes that, that's a physical picture of our soul. One commentator says, sorrow so clouds our minds sometimes that we forget all remembrance of God's providence. We can't see straight. seems like God is gone. In other words, our, our pain and suffering makes us forget that God is in control of the events that come into our life. And in fact, our pain, in our pain, this is exactly what we need to affirm to find healing is that God is in control of whatever has come into our life. That's what one commentator says. You you cannot begin to be healed by God until you realize He's in control. Where's God in your suffering? He's right there with you. In fact, He holds it in His hand for your good purposes, for His good purposes in your life. Who should we aim our prayers at then? Who should we complain to then? God. He's our salvation. And He can change that situation in an instant. If I know God holds my suffering in His hands, then I can endure and keep faith because I know He has promised good to me. Though I may not understand it at the moment. So as we talk about suffering, I think it's good to think about suffering. How to how does suffering come into our life? It's kind of a complicated question, but I, I, think there's, I think there's three general ways that we see suffering come into our life. So let's look at that. One, I think we suffer for the, own, for our, the consequences of our sin. Okay, Some of this is brought on ourselves. Let's be honest. When you, if you have an addiction to pornography and then you go commit adultery with your neighbor and you blow up your family... Whose fault is that? It's your own. Suffering the consequences of your sin. If you decide that the the, the laws of the state and the nation are not good for you and you want to do your own thing and you end up in jail, whose fault is that? Yours. Sometimes we bring suffering on ourselves because of our own sin. In fact, our sin always brings suffering into our life. But I want you to see something here. Even in that, God's hand is there. Okay, God is at work. Those very consequences you faced, caused by your sin, those are ordained by God. He assigned those consequences to your sin. And yet here's the good news as a Christian. When you indulge in your sin, God is right there using your sin to form you into the Christian and the follower of Christ he wants you to be. Now, that's a great mystery. But that's what God promises to you as a Christian. Look, look, Paul wrestles with this in Romans. L- listen to how he says it. Romans five twenty through 6, 2. Here's what he says. He says, The law came to increase trespasses. That means God revealed to us what sin was so that we would know we were sinning. Okay, so as we look at God's law, we go, Man, I'm a, I'm a sinner. And then look what it says. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, sin will take you to death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No way, by no means. Don't do it. This means that God will use your sin and then the consequences of your suffering to shape you in the image of Christ if you're His follower. But let's not do it that way if we have to. That's what Paul said. Don't do it that way. God can do it that way, but don't do it that way. Let's just not sin. So sometimes our suffering comes from our own sin and God holds that in His hand and can use it. And yet, sometimes suffering comes to our life because of someone else's sin. Think of the, the drunk driver that crashes into the, the nice Christian family and the family is all killed but one person. That's not their sin. That was someone else's sin. Brought suffering into their life. Why would God do that? Sometimes we don't know. But we know that God holds it in His hand. And similarly, number three here, sometimes God places things and events in our life because he's God. And he's got better reasons than we can understand. Think of think of Job. Forty two chapters. Things he didn't understand. No reason for his suffering. Or the Christian that suffers the debilitating disease for most of their life. Seemingly no reason. Not because of their sin. God brought it into their life. Why would God do that? We don't always know. But God says he holds it in his hand and that it will be for your good and his good purposes. Now this psalm gets even more intense. Let's look back at this psalm for a second. He's rightly accused God as the source of his suffering. And now he's going to question God. Job did this. Look what he says, verses 10 through 12. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up and praise you? No, they don't. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon, which is the, the underworld? Are your wonders known in darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? The Psalms is saying, how in the world can I serve Your good purposes of making yourself known in the world when I'm dead. How can my suffering be a good thing? You explain that one to me, God. Many times we ask the same questions. How can what I'm suffering be used for good? And yet I think in the sufferings of Christ... That we've already mentioned, we get a glimpse of God's ability to use suffering for the good. Look over at Isaiah 53. 53, 2 through 3. Here's what it says, prophesying of Christ. He grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, I want you to know that word grief can also be translated as sicknesses. And as one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This means Jesus was probably ugly. You ever thought about that? This means there's good reason to believe that Jesus may have suffered with long-term illness. Or at least with people that did suffer long-term illness. This means that Jesus' Father, there's tradition that Jesus' Father either died when He was a child or a young man. It means people didn't like Jesus. They rejected Him. And yet God let Him suffer from His youth up until He died. And in the midst of his suffering, some of the most ultimate human suffering on the cross, God turned his back on Jesus. This is why Jesus cried out and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, the darkness. But this is how God used Christ's suffering. Look, look at Isaiah 53. It continues. 4-6. through six. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord on him has laid the iniquity of us all. God used the sufferings of Christ to accomplish salvation for you and for me. And that means God can use your suffering for His good purposes too. Here's the good news. When you become a Christian through repentance of your sins and confession of Jesus as Lord, God promises to take your suffering and your sin and He flips it over. And he uses it to accomplish salvation in your life. Praise God. When we face sufferings as Christians, it's part of God's plan for our salvation to be worked out in your life. That's why we just sung this. First Corinthians fifteen, fifty five through fifty seven says, Oh death, where is your sting? It is because the sting of death has been turned into the sting of salvation doesn't mean you don't die, but it means it's used to glorify your body in heaven with Christ. And we see this played out with Jesus as a dead, abandoned man laying in a grave. Where's God? Darkness. And God was there and He raised Him up. His most forsaken place. And even in our suffering, we... When we when the suffering we face takes us to the point of death, God has promised resurrection for those of us that will include ourselves in Him, and we'll be saved to His glory. Look at Look at what Romans says here. But in the meantime, our suffering it, it shapes us, informs us as believers. Look at Romans five, three through five. Here's what it says We rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that sufferings produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so by the Holy Spirit, we are able to see that our suffering has now been turned on its head and God uses us, uses it to perfect us until we are with him. God has promised to use our suffering for good. And so we cry out to Him in faith. And in the meantime, Psalm 88 helps us to say, it's okay, I don't have to understand. And it teaches us that, that God wants us to cry out to Him when we don't understand. Now the well of emotion in the psalm comes to a kind of a final climax here in in the last five verses. So let's look at what it says, 13 through 18. <laughs> but I, Lord, I cry to You. In the morning my prayer comes to You. O oh, Lord, why do You cast my soul away? Why do You hide Your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up. I suffer terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. Those who love me. Oh, darkness. Here the psalmist ends as he began. God, I'm crying out to you every morning. Answer me. He says, he's, if you notice in verse 15, that he's been afflicted to death, suffering terrors from his youth up. It's been a long road. It's been a long time. It's, it's not over. He's tired. He's worn out. He's done. And then the psalm that sinks into darkness. He speaks of the way God's wrath has overwhelmed him like a flood. If you've noticed, I've read the, the last verse a little, probably a little different than your version and I think it, when it's rendered this way, it shows us this descending plea of desperation. You've caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. those who love me. Oh, darkness. We picture the crumpled psalmist on the floor, having laid his heart out to God, awaiting salvation. Waiting in faith. And so we're going to come to a time of communion. In fact, the band can come on up. And part of what we do when we partake of the Lord's body and blood is that we are proclaiming our faith in God as our salvation, like verse 1 of this psalm. That we're going to continue to, to persevere in faith No matter what the circumstances, we are going to be a follower of Christ. But to persevere, we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It helps us see through our sorrow. It helps us to cry out to God in the midst of our pain. And also in the act of communion, we acknowledge that that God's in control. And He gets all of our life. He is our Lord. And we will continually look to Him for salvation. So as we come to communion, I want us to take a few minutes as song Sean's going to sing. And I want you to lay your complaints before God. I want you to bear your heart to God. He can take it. James 5.13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Psalm 88 is God's good gift to us as an example of how to pray in the depths of your pain and suffering. So whatever you're suffering, whatever you're experiencing, you pray to God to right now and tell Him about it. And then as you come to communion, you place it in His hands as His good work in your life, and you look to Him for salvation, and you ask Him for salvation, and in the meantime, endurance, perseverance. And maybe you need to do this for the first time. Ask God into your life. Say, I want you to be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Help turn this suffering and sin into my life into salvation, God. He's there. He cares for you. And you can speak frankly with Him. The psalm gives you permission. God wants you to just keep talking to Him. Let's pray. Lord, we come humbly before You And God, we thank You that You are are not set apart from our feelings, Lord. In fact, You have lived our life. You have suffered much more than us. And God, thank You for giving us Psalm 88 that says, Talk to me. Give us the boldness, Lord. Give us the grace to come to Your throne and lay before You our pain and suffering. And I pray that You would be our God of salvation. So now as we consider our life, May you speak and minister to each one of us. Answer us, God. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.